Chapter 2, What is My Purpose? What is our purpose, our target in life? Our purpose comes from our Creator. God is the Creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1 There is one God who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Our purpose is to become like Jesus. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Our universally shared purpose is Christ-likeness. From the time we are born again in Christ Jesus, we are called to become progressively more and more like Jesus, aiming our lives for him. There is one God. God created every single person who has ever lived. God's purpose is the same for everyone. Be in a love relationship with him by grace alone, a gift from God, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. See Appendix 1 for a detailed treatment of how to be born again in Christ Jesus. Every one of us falls into one of two categories, born again in Christ Jesus or still spiritually dead in our sin, on the trail of Christ's likeness or on the wrong trail. We don't make our own trail We don't find our own way. Jesus is the way, the only way. Jesus does not show us the way. He says emphatically, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. We are all aimed at something. What is your life aimed for? Either we are living out our purpose of following Jesus or we are on a path opposed to Jesus. There is no middle ground. That which we do not work toward, we work against. Purposeful living, the gaze of the soul at Jesus, will not just happen. We must set, fix, and lock Jesus himself as our now and forever target. We must be intentional. Let our life be purposeful, aiming toward Jesus. There is a well-worn saying, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Let's modify the well-worn saying to a well-founded one. If you don't stand for Jesus, you will fall for anything. Life lived without true purpose is doomed to strike no beneficial target. To my regret, I know this all too well. Years of life with a wrong focus is a past failure I must bear. God forgives us in Christ Jesus, but it's an error I do not want to repeat, nor do I wish anyone else to find themselves in such a misguided position. Even one day of aimless living is one too many. If you have missed the trail or have strayed from it, remember it's never too late to get back on course. Consider Moses, the Old Testament prophet. 
He didn't even hit his stride until he was 80 years old. Moses started late, but he lived purposefully the remainder of his life. It's never too late to refocus. You may be thinking, I'm not someone who can become Christ-like. Moses had similar misgivings. Moses told God, I am not qualified to carry out the purpose you are giving me. Yet Moses went on to live a life of great purpose. He led millions of Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Moses wrote the first five books of the greatest bestseller ever, the Holy Bible. I strayed as far off of the trail as one can get. Memorial Day 2008 found me under the influence of alcohol, twice tasered, arrested, barebacked, barefooted, and kneeling with handcuffs in the neutral ground of one of the cities I previously served as judge in. You couldn't get much further off target. But God, he still had plans. God led me back to purposeful living. He wonderfully and graciously guided me back to the trail of Christ-likeness. Who, seeing me kneeling there handcuffed that day, could have envisioned what God was about to do? How could God take a crashed and broken vessel and make it useful? He reshaped the crackpot into a senior status judge covering the entire state of Mississippi, restoring my life for use as a pastor, writer, and minister to the homeless. I certainly didn't anticipate any of that, nor did I see church planning, well digging, and Bible teaching in Africa. These observations are not about me. The point is what God will do when we are properly aimed towards Jesus. God can get us rightly focused if we will give ourselves into his hands. As someone has said of the amazing things God does, you just can't sometimes always never tell what God is about to do. Regardless of where we are on our journey, know this. God has a purpose for our lives. God wants each of us to live out his purpose. When we understand our purpose, which is his plan, we have a well-defined daily target, following Jesus, pursuing Christ-likeness. In 1921, Sevilla Flood and her husband David, along with their two-year-old son, ventured from their Swedish homeland to the heart of Africa, the Belgian Congo. Their goal, their purpose, was to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people living in a small outlying village. The chief of the village rejected them, refusing to permit them to come into the village at all. David and Sevilla, along with another couple, went approximately one half mile away and built their own mud huts. Their efforts to share the gospel with the local people was met with strong opposition. The only breakthrough they ever had was with the young village boy who weekly came to sell them eggs and chickens. Sevilla was able to lead him to saving faith in Jesus Christ. The couples were both peppered with diseases, particularly malaria. The Ericsons elected to leave the area, returning to the main mission station. David and Sevilla remained. Sevilla, all four foot eight inches of her, boldly stayed the course. 
Sevilla became pregnant in the middle of Africa with no medical help available. Learning of her impending birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to attend the birth of the baby. Sevilla gave birth to a daughter, Aina. Already weakened by bouts of malaria, Sevilla survived the delivery and lived for 17 days and then passed away. With the death of his wife, David reached his breaking point. He dug a shallow grave with his hands and buried his 27-year-old wife in the jungle. He went on to the main mission station and said, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. David gave his infant child, Aina, to the Ericsons. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his purpose, but God too. David, defeated and brokenhearted, returned to Sweden. The Ericsons both contracted an unknown disease and died within a few days of one another. Aina, Sevilla's infant child, was handed off to another missionary couple from America. They loved her, and they anglicized her name to Aggie. The couple returned to America when Aggie was three years old. She grew up in South Dakota with her adoptive parents who served as a pastoral couple over a local church. When she was grown, Aggie went to North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. It was there that she met and married Dewey Hurst. The couple, along with their children, moved to Seattle, Washington. Aggie was surprised to find such a strong Scandinavian heritage in Seattle. One day, a Swedish religious magazine showed up in her mailbox. She had no idea who sent it. She was thumbing through the magazine when a photo stopped her cold. The photo was of a primitive grave with a white cross. On the cross were the words, Sevilla Flood. Aggie quickly went to the local college where she found someone who could translate the Swedish article. The instructor summarized the story. It was about missionaries who had come to Nadolra long ago, the birth of a white baby, the death of the young mother, the one little African boy who had been led to Christ, and how, after the missionaries left, the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. The article said that gradually he won all his students to Christ. The children led their parents to Christ. Even the chief had become a Christian. Today, there were 600 Christian believers in that one village, all because of the sacrifice of David and Sevilla Flood. Later, Aggie was able to go to Sweden, and she sought out her real father to tell him the great news. David was now an old man who had remarried, fathered four more children, but had let his life go with alcohol. Aggie found his family, and they welcomed her. He had recently suffered a crippling stroke. The family told Aggie that David had one absolute rule, never mention the name of God, because God took everything from me. They warned her, if you speak of God, he will fly into a rage. Aggie would not be deterred. She walked into his run-down apartment, littered with liquor bottles everywhere. Her sick and sad father was lying on a rumpled bed amid all the degradation. Papa, she said tentatively. He turned and began to cry. Aina, 
He said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. Instantly, David stiffened. The tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. Defeated, David turned his face to the wall. Determined, Aggie stroked his face and said, Papa, I've got a little story to tell you, and it's true. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win that whole village to Jesus Christ. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. Today, there are 600 African people serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He has never hated you. David turned to look into his daughter's eyes and his body relaxed. He began to talk, and by the end of the afternoon, he had come back to the God he had resented for so many decades. He remembered his purpose, the path God had for him and for all of us, following Jesus. Over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. Aggie and her husband soon had to return to America. Within a few weeks, David Flood had gone into eternity. A few years later, the Hearst were attending a high-level evangelism conference in London, England. A report was given from the nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the National Church, representing some 110,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. Aggie could not help going to him afterwards and asking if he had ever heard of David and Sevilla Flood. Yes, madam, the man replied in French, his words then being translated into English. It was Sevilla Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her in a long, sobbing hug. Then he continued, You must come to Africa to see, because your mother is the most famous person in our history. In time, that is exactly what Aggie and her husband did. They were welcomed by cheering throngs of villagers. She even met the man who had been hired by her father many years before to carry her back down the mountain in a hammock cradle. The most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's white cross for herself. She knelt in the soil to pray and give thanks. Later that day in the church, the pastor read from John chapter 12, verse 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. He then followed with Psalm 126.5, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Sevilla Flood was a woman who lived a short, purposeful life. She lived following Jesus and his command to go and make disciples of all nations. She was concerned only with following the trail marked out for her, the very purpose of her life. She did not live a life characterized by always striking the bullseye, 
but she kept her eye on the prize as she followed Jesus. Sevilla Flood's life was well aimed at Jesus. It is not how long we live. David's life was much longer than Sevilla's, but how well we aim the life we live. Sevilla pursued the target. David followed for a season, but then he lost his way. I can identify with David. I, too, wandered far from the path. God, in his infinite grace, got me back on target. God helped David and me back to the path he intended. Living without purpose is a tragic waste of one's life. Living on purpose, with a purpose, is why you and I are here to begin with. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Make him the target of your life every day. God has a purpose for each of us to follow Jesus, to become Christ-like. True or false? One, I am living a purposeful life. True or false? Two, my purpose is from God and for God. True or false? Three, my life is well aimed at Jesus Christ. True or false? Questions to contemplate. What is your purpose in life? How do you know your purpose? Does it matter how you see God? Does your view of God affect your view of life? How do you find the path toward living out your life's purpose? How do you stay on the path? If you are new to your purpose of Christ's likeness, is it too late to get started? What should your first step be on your new journey? What if you don't really see any results from your efforts to follow Jesus? What does that signify about your success as a Christ follower? 